I hear you're going to be Mr. Worldwide here in the next next eight days here, boss. Yes, absolutely. Going to multiple cities and also visiting my family in South Carolina. I'm really pumped to, you know, catch up with them. You know, it's been a while. Yeah, dude. You just like it's and you know, we're a national firm out here and you're actually putting that to the test this week, huh? Yeah, no, I got a lot of markets to go into. <clears throat> and we're even putting um some new deals back on the market in the Carolinas too. So I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, just to be, you know, back in the old stomping grounds, but you know, really, it's just going back to the fundamentals. Absolutely, know, seeing, man. Seeing the people. Going back to the roots, <laughs> refreshing everything up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, so let's jump into it, man. Absolutely. Welcome back. Another episode of Chat, not Chatting on Bell Street, your window into the world of commercial real estate. I'm your host, Tony Miranda. With me, as always, the most insightful CEO of Bell Street, Mr. Brian Bell. Thank you. Today we got a we got a heck of a we're gonna we're gonna take a break from the doom and gloom that you usually hear about in news and commercial real estate. So this week we're looking at CBRE, the world one of the world's largest commercial real estate brokerage firms, and their recent report reported surge in profits, which has certainly sent ripples through the industry. CBRE has not only reported a significant jump in their fourth quarter net income for 2023, but also raised their outlook for 2024, signaling a potential uptick in the global office market. Brian, before we dive into the details, it's fascinating to see the optimism, especially when we'll be hearing so much doom and gloom and challenges facing the office sector. What's your take on this pos- finally a positive story coming out? You know, I love seeing companies actually show profit. I mean, even even if it's our competitor, you know, seeing a brokerage, you know, show profit, especially over the past 18 months is always great. Um, you know, it's it was it was a whirlwind of the past 18 months with interest rate increases and like we're seeing more positive momentum right now even ourselves on the smaller product but for cbre i don't know if it was just like a staffing cut that they made enough staffing cuts to hit the profit yeah they did they didn't they do like a huge cut like was was it the fourth quarter last year they they did all that i think actually mid-year they cut a lot of staff but i don't mean no matter what i mean it's good to see you know, companies adjusting and changing and we had to do our own adjusting even on our, on our scale. Um, but you know, the one thing I noticed from the article is that they're optimistic about office and they're seeing that it's turning around and it's looking more promising as we go into, you know, this year. Let that- the record show that Brian did say that earlier in a couple episodes of podcast. So if listeners want to go out there that you kind of saw this coming. So yeah. Yeah. I mean like the thing is like the news is the problem, you know? And it's like, really, I mean, I went to a meeting the other day and they were like, oh my God, you know, my building is not worth as much. It's like, no, that's just the market telling everybody that, hey, look, there's, they don't have anything to report. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we're still seeing, you know, office transactions happen in our, in the markets that we work in. And so we're not seeing anything really change. If anything, we're seeing more traction right now um, with everything stabilizing. One thing that I I do want to put out there as a warning sign is that a lot of people are laying off right now Mm -hmm. and that affects retail right because like if some of these people don't have if they don't have a job lined up and you know they're going to be pulling back on the reins on uh, consumer spending right on retail centers and so we might see a drawback on retail i think in the next nine months 18 months you know, some of my neighbors were laid off. Then they were able to get a new job. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, there's a lot of companies that are being acquired or they're laying off 20, 30% of their staff. And that right there causes these hiccups in this market. And if that continues the, 
you know, be the, you know, the determining factor. And hopefully that's not why CBRE was profitable, you know, laying off a lot right. of staff in their brokerage division. But if it was, that's great for them that they're showing positive cash flow for their investors uh, or stock shareholders. But like one thing I want to kind of point out is like even other companies are laying off right now and or they're downsizing or they're looking at, you know, are the cogs are, are let's get the cobwebs out of the wheels mm. that are gearing this machine, this organization, and let's make things more efficient. And I think all companies are kind of lining up to this right now. And they're really learning how to be really productive and learning how to, you know, maybe some of these companies are bringing back their workforce to the office. Some are not, but like a lot of them are really trying to, you know, be more profit, profit centric. And, you know, sometimes that comes with cutting staff to be, you know, especially in a time right now where we're kind of in this weird, you know, bubble because we did see a little bit of inflation over the past 60 days mm -hmm. as well. So, well, let's dive a little bit deeper into the CBR, uh, CBRE report. Uh, they mentioned nearly 500% increase in net income from the same time period last year with overall revenues and free cash flow on the rise. How do you interpret these figures in the context of a market recovery? You know, I, you know, I think whenever you're showing a company like CBRE, I mean, they're doing a lot of, a lot of their revenue comes from consistent um, corporate service work. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of that doesn't really change. It could be just maybe they took some work from JOL. You know, when you're in that space and you're doing a lot of corporate service work, it's really, you're taking market share from this big four group. You're taking market share from this big four group. And I think that's probably what's just happening. Maybe their sales team for corporate services is really doing a great job. Or maybe their middle market uh, groups are doing really well. But, uh, you know, I don't really have an opinion on that. Okay, yeah. well, well, let's let's shift it a little bit because you have been a harbinger of bringing the work first back into the office. Yeah, and notably, the shift towards returning workers to office. CBRE is banking on office leasing growth, particularly with the Class A properties. In your experience, how critical is this segment for the overall health of the office market? <clears throat> I think it's very crucial. I think. You know, I think we are going to probably see us upswing back into the office. You know, the thing is, as these companies start showing profit margins and they're starting to show positive gain and and they're, you know, they're working efficiently, more efficiently now. Mm -hmm. Maybe the office setting is going to look differently. But I think, you know, coming back, you know, maybe maybe we're not going to have that creative like we work kind of vibe. Right. You know, maybe it's maybe we're going to go back to the 80s, 90s model where we have functional offices that are independent. Um, or, or maybe we're going back to, you know, more like collaborative hubs within office, you right. know, it, it always shifts, you know, back in the day, you know, and it's always fun when I go into office buildings, um, that, uh, have it really been touched the, uh, the layout, has it really been touched in 20, 30 years, Tony? Mm -hmm. And you could tell this was before computers. Right. Right. You know? Right. And, and now you have these offices that are like current with computers, the size that they could put in their pocket or, mm -hmm the size that they could just slide in a, like a little work bag. Right. And, and now like, you know, but there, there used to be these massive rooms that didn't have windows. They look like a data room or they used to host these massive computers that had index cards. Now they use that for like server space probably. Yeah. 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 But I, I don't even think they do that because everything's in the cloud. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, you look at some of these office layouts and they're not even functional now for current day tenants and they have to, 
And there's a lot of old space out there in the market that are CB quality space that need to be retrofitted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to probably happen to some of that class A product too. Right. Um, let, there, there's one part in this article, uh, and, and it was kind of it, it was kind of rem reminiscent of some other articles that I read. CBRE is planning a significant investment, um, and even in about around around eight hundred million dollars in acquisitions. Now, I've seen a couple stories where there's a lot of distressed office space coming on the market, and a lot of these cash flush companies are coming in and buying up all this distressed stuff mm -hmm. um, for our listeners, particularly those new to the industry or looking to recalibrate their strategies. Uh, how do you feel that that kind of plays into, into that type of recovery? What that they're buying? Stuff? Yeah, they're buying like yeah. everybody pretty much. That's the trend we're seeing right now. A lot of these cash flush uh, places are buying these distressed <laughs> assets. You know, it's kind of mess. I think it's almost like a conflict of interest when you have a, a major brokerage that you know, works with a lot of these massive uh, publicly traded companies that are, are that are able to acquire these assets. But then when they see the the pain point, they're able to acquire these and take advantage of it from their own uh, capital investment arm. Mm. You know, it, it's kind of like, even though that's a different division, but it, I think it's still... Same figure, same head up top. Yeah, just you know two different I mean? arms. It, it's just it's just a little dirty. You know? <laughs> it is. But, it does but, seem shady. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, you know, if they if they see opportunity and they can bring back the office, um, you know, that's great. I mean, let's let's let them run with it. Um, well, how do you think new brokers could kind of like? Is there something that like like say somebody they just kind of started? You know, how can they take advantage of it? Being of course being new to the industry. Um, or is this something that's like, you know, this is kind of like a big boys that they're at the big boys table at that point. You know, I mean, if it's large, massive high rise product, you know, normally they're probably going to work with the bigger groups that mm -hmm. probably transacted the, or sold them the deal. Um, but like if it's a small B or a class or anything under 150,000 square feet office product, like maybe like an office complex. No, I think right now, like I would be all over being an office broker right now. It'd be so easy to get traction, so easy to do deals. And because no one else is really wanting to focus on it and you get in there, you teach people how to do owner financing and you really lean into that space. Um, you know, retail has been doing great. I think retail is probably like overpicked right now. Um, you know, but you know, if, if, if we continue to see these job losses within these companies, in our organizations, then, you know, there, there may be some pullback. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not at first if they receive some sort of like uh, exit package, but maybe in nine months, you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to feel that if they didn't get replaced in another opportunity. Good stuff, yeah. Ryan. Let's, uh, let's, let's shift uh, from the CBRE discussion, uh, transitioning uh, to CBR's optimistic outlook for the commercial real estate market. Let's dive into something that's critical for every profession in our field, the art of the follow-up. Okay. Effect, yeah. Effective follow-up strategies, strategies are the backbone of suge successful transaction and lasting client relationships. Mastering the art of follow-ups isn't just good manners. It's strategic necessity in commercial real estate. It bridges the gaps from initial contact to deal closure, ensuring we stay connected with clients and ahead of their needs. Brian, in your experience, how do how do practical follow-ups impact the dynamics of deal making and client relationships? You know, there's two different sides to follow-ups. So the first side is um, pre-engagement with the relationship. It's just like building the relationship with the client. And then one is post. That is just a referral follow-up or just really the post-client follow-up. Just keeping that relationship new, 
making sure that they're cared about in the community, make sure that we're, we're being consistent with our, with our, our reach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both of them should be approached differently. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about a, the master and the follow-up, I think like, you know, I was taught that eight, you know, like every person should be tapped eight times. You know, okay. and it takes eight times for you to build that relationship with that person, even if you don't talk to them. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I sold an apartment complex. I was like 86 units. And these guys lived in like Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I never met with them. And I just cold called them every day. I'm not every day, probably like twice a week. Right. And I just, uh, and I would leave different messages. Like, oh, let me tell you what I'm doing today. And I was just getting this long <laughs> conversation on the message. Right. But I followed up and he's like, Brian, you're really consistent. I want to list with you. And it, but they got to know me through my own messages. Or it's the same thing. I meet with somebody, go by their office, drop off donuts, or say, hey, every day, make them feel special. Or just let them know, hey, look, this is what I see happening. That's all people are looking for is you just to connect and let you know that you're real. You know what I mean? Now, now these days, everyone's like, all right, I need an Instagram account and let me get to know you through Instagram. And I f- they feel like, oh, I know you through social media mm-hmm. based on what you got going on. So now I want to do business because I know you through social media. Right. You know, in commercial real estate is, we're still under the gun where like most people that own it don't even have social media. Yeah. So really, you know, if you're a broker listening to this and you're new, and you're trying to create your social media account and you're trying to like be hip and cool and use your, you know, your twatter and your Insta ham and all that. Like, <laughs> you know, like you have to remember that a lot of these people, that's not going to really like leverage you the highest and best uh, use of your time. Right. Maybe in 20 years, maybe yeah. in 20 years, like everyone's going to have Instagram, everyone's going to have face Facebook and everything else. And, you know, maybe that stuff's not even going to be around in 20 years. Maybe it's just going to be just like it's you're just, be VR. Yeah, it's just going to be all VR, and you're just going to be out there on YouTube. Everything's yeah. going to be YouTube recorded. Everything's going to be like connected through some sort of like Google search or Web 3.0. Right. But like, but right now, like if you're trying to target on these certain sites, you know, I. I don't. I don't even think you can get a client a year on that. No, unless no. you're really good. LinkedIn's a pretty good, pretty good. LinkedIn one. is probably the best. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even following up on LinkedIn, like when I, you know we're talking about the art of follow. Right, right. You know, like even just posting an article, like being a thought leader in a space is super important. Like if I and I tell my guys to do this all the time. Now half of them don't. Okay. And it's because it's like extra work. It's like homework that we asked them to do. Right. And it's like write an article about what they think about a market and then let's send it out to your, um, your leads or your clients or even put it on, or on LinkedIn and say, hey, look, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm thinking. This is what the market's telling us right now. Mm-hmm. And really be thought provoking about it and then have people read it and say, hey, look, this is what we're, what we're doing right now. And I think that right there is really important to kind of get out there and be client centric focus. And then you can also do that follow up and, and they get to know you better. They get to know your experience better. They get to know like, all right, if I work with Brian, this is what I'm going to get. Right. Um, and, you know, and going into like just personalizing those efforts. You, you, yeah, and you touched on kind of per, you, how you do your personalized follow ups. Let's talk about the timing and method of follow ups. 
Um, what strategies have you found most effective in balancing persistence with respects in, in terms of that timing of your follow-up strategies? You know, that's a great question. If I go to a meeting with them or if I know that they want to sell, I will call them like every other day. Yeah. It, but if, if, but if it's one of those things where they were putting the idea of selling out there that I would say once a week, maybe once a month, mm-hmm. um, really like once a month. Um, but if, but if they've, you know, but if they've already had it on the market before, or, or maybe they are like, they're ready to make a change. Then I would follow up on a lot more, um, you know, not a lot more consistently. Most people think agents don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you have to make sure you're screaming from the mountaintop, what you're doing, what your successes, what your wins are, because like people think like, okay, it's crickets until I call you. I didn't expect you to like do all this stuff for you, but like, but like you're a professional and like, if you're listening to this, your agent, or if you're a client, you know, we're professionals in the space. We work eight to five. We, we dig into the data. We, we actually like know what we're doing here. Right. And I think like a lot of people, they're like, Hey, I need you to cut my grass. Yeah. You know, that in the residential world, it's like that. It's okay. It's like pro bono. You cut my grass. I'll give you the listing. <laughs> and I've seen people do that. It's like, Oh yeah, I got to cut this guy's grass. And, and then I got to like, uh, help him with this and that. And then he'll give me the listing. No, no, I'm going to list your property. I'm going to get it sold. <laughs> um, I'm not going to build a relationship through chores. Right. Like yeah. a, the, the bartering system is kind of yeah, out the window. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not going to have strength to, or energy to help negotiate the deal. I'm cutting their grass. <laughs> you, um, you briefly touched on this earlier about uh, bringing value to clients. Now, uh-huh. in terms of adding value with every follow-up, what are some, uh, how do you ensure that each interaction uh, can provide something beneficial to that potential client? You know, that goes back to our other podcast. We have, um, I think, a few back about listening. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you can really solve a problem or add value unless you know what the problem is. So I think that kind of goes back to a few podcasts back about like effective listening mm-hmm. and being able to be there and adding value for your clients. And then you can actually solve a problem and actually like create value for them. Um, you know, today we met with a family. They've actually owned the properties for a hundred years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's been handed down multiple generations is, and now, you know, they're in a position where they need to make a shift and they're trying to, um, you know, re categorize their, they're, they're trying to reposition their, their capital into something a little bit more like easier to manage. Mm. And it was great to see because like they brought out the grandson and they brought out the father was there and like, and so it was generational, oh, wow. it was awesome. generational. And, and the, and the grandfather was like, God, he's, it's just hard for him to make the decision to sell, but he knows it's a lot of work right. for what he's doing. And so we put some options in front of him, some net lease products, some other like uh, industrial assets that could be turnkey that his grandson can manage and they can kind of hand them down through the family. And, you know, but it's really about like when it's a legacy piece like that and, you know, it's about just helping them on their timeline. You know, right. and sometimes it's not, and sometimes those take a while. And sometimes we actually meet with people and we're like, hey, look, right now is not the best time to sell. Why don't we try it in a few years? And they're like, wow, I can't believe you said that. You get paid to sell com- real estate. 
but that that's what it's about, you know? Um, and I learned that from a mentor a while back. He, he, he kept telling a client, he's like, Hey, look, this West side's going to pop in the next 15 years. You mm-hmm. need to hold on to your real estate and then we can look at selling it. Okay. And if you're a broker listening to this, you're like, man, what are you doing? Why don't you want to go ahead and put it on the market? Why don't you want to go ahead and sell it? The property is going to increase in value, you know? And, and one of my, one of my old mentors told this to his clients. And then what ended up happening 15, 20 years later, um, he ended up transacting. It was actually in San Diego. And, and what ended up happening, this little property was like worth like let's say 900,000 mm-hmm. back when he originally and the family's like, Hey, should we sell this right now? And, and the broker's like, no, you should hold on to it. There's going to be a lot of moving and shaking pieces of this. This is going to be worth a lot in the future. And so like every two years they, he followed up and gave him an updated BOV and, and told the family where they were with it. Right. And then 15 years later, you know, he's like, he did a BOV. He's like, all right, this is what the market's saying now. Like $20 million later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now imagine getting paid on the million dollar commission, but like telling the client, hey, look, no, you shouldn't sell right now. This market is going to shift. This is development that's going to happen in this neighborhood. Right. And we see it coming. It's in the plans. We see the neighborhood. Like that, that's, that's a real broker, right? Right. And, and that's creating value. That's like, that's an ultimate follow-up right there. And, and and it's almost like money in the bank for that broker, but he's not c- cashing it out yet. Right. It's almost like he's adding value every year doing BOVs year over year, and then he gets a check for $300,000, $400,000 on an exit of a much larger deal versus just getting $30,000. Well, that's a hell of a follow-up story there. Yeah. You like that one? That's, yeah. a, that's a good one. But that that's how you have to put this business in perspective. It's not about lying to the client because then you're only going to get those one-time clients right? because they're going to find out from someone else that, you know, you're full of shit. Right. And you know, like lies crack and then the truth always prevails. Right. And I think like that is something you have to, you know, just kind of keep, you know, keep a, you know, an eye on like, cause like, you know, whenever you're working with a client, you have to just make sure you're telling them the truth. Cause it's so much, so easy for you to cut corners in this business. And, and like, if you're, you know, but it's also like, a, you know, I had a buddy that, you know, went to Vegas with him a few weeks ago. He wanted me to meet his new girlfriend and that was fun, you know, but like he asked about a deal that he had that he was looking at selling. He's like, Hey, should I sell this? It's like, Hey, look, this is what you can get on it. You tell me if you want to do it or not. It's, it's a good, strong asset, but I don't want to pressure you. It's mm-hmm. your call. But, you know, but, you know, the thing is you have to like communicate them on what's going on in right. the market. Yeah. Well, uh, let's shit. Let, let's stick. Let's stick with following up, but let's shift gears a little bit mm-hmm. and the and the role of technology and enhancing our follow up game. Customer relationship management or uh, CRSM systems have become uh, indispensable tools for managing client interactions. Brian, can you speak to how CRMs have transformed follow up strategies in this sector? Yeah, you know, CRMs are only good as much as you use them. If you don't use a CRM, if you have one and you say you have one, but you don't use it effectively, then, then it's not going to work. And I think that is something like it goes, you know, coincide with the follow-up game. If you're not, your attention and detail is not there and you're not putting in the input, you know, and I've, and I've paid, (laughs) 
<laughs> a lot of money going through all these different versions of Salesforce, you know, Apto, Rethink, um, you know, build out, you know, I went through different versions of a client. What was it called? Client, um, client first or client link or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, like, you know, and I've tried all of them, you know, top producer and all these other ones. And then I, the thing is like, they all cost a bunch of money. And you know, the thing is, I mean, some of them are so detailed, you can get lost in the data that you can input because they have a classification for every product type. You have capital stack or not capital stack, but you have like stack plans for office building for leasing. So really it's like, I, I like the firm that we're using to use a simple version just because, you know, it's just like, um, you know, half the people that do sales are like all over the place. Right. And if we can keep it simple, then it's more effective for them. Okay. Yeah. Um, in what ways has data from CRM systems informed your approach and led to more successful client engagement? You know, what I like about CRMs is whether or not they can tell if the emails are open. That's always a nice oh, one. I love that one. Yeah, it tells you if they're engaged or not. And also how many times they open the email um, if you send a new client information or follow-up. Another thing I like about CRMs is it tells you who you haven't talked to first. That's my favorite page. You go to one of the call, cold call sheets, you can actually like search by last time you contact them. And I think that that's those kind of things are the thing are, are things that I think that are very beneficial to making um, a program effective. You know, it's, it's easy to run out of an Excel sheet and have your database out of an Excel sheet, but the Excel sheet's not gonna tell you when the last time you called them. It's not going to tell you the side notes. It's not going to tell you. It's not going to be pinged to your phone. you got to actually log into your computer. <clears throat> and a lot of these apps now and these CRMs are all like pinged. So like if you put in the contact in the, the program, it also links with your phone. Mm -hmm. um, another one I forgot was Real Next. That one there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there, there's, there's so many of them that actually like they got an app and also they're all over your computer as well or your iPad. So it just depends on whatever is going to be most effective for you. Right. Yeah. Um, last question. New brokers that might be listing. Mm -hmm. What are some good mm -hmm. follow-up strategies and CRM strategies that they can employ if this is their first day on the job? Um, CRM strategy, don't put shit into your database. That is not, I mean, don't just upload a bunch of properties in there and then a bunch of phone numbers that you haven't vetted out first. Make sure the stuff you put in there is true data and that it's real data. Um, so you don't water it down and you have to start over from scratch. I think that's probably the biggest tip. As for follow-up game, it's okay to call people. It's okay to send out an email with information on what you think about the market. Now, you have to actually be an expert on the market. You actually have to know your market. You actually have to be able to write a cohesive, well-thought-out and be a thought leader in your market. If you're not doing that, then, then you need to really take a step back and say, all right, what am I doing wrong? Maybe I don't know what I'm selling, you know? Right. You know, because if you don't know what you're selling, then why are you selling? <laughs> you know, why are you selling that? Go, go sell something else that you know how to sell. And I think like, it's so easy for some people, they get in the space and they, you know, they do it at first and then they forget. And then they like, now they're not really in tune with the market because they haven't been really keeping track of the trends and the data and like also the reading articles. And so, but now going back to it, it's really, it's about the, the impact of making the calls and meeting with people and following up. But also 
you have that that digital presence too, and I think you also have to be putting that message out there. Okay. And and just like hitting hitting people up and letting them know that you are around, you know, because like, you know, you got to scream it from like the rooftop. Right. You know, someone met with, um, I was reading an article the other week and this guy, you know, he got invited. He wasn't anyone famous. It was like some guy, he had a podcast or something, but he, he met Richard Branson and he was like, well, what can you tell me? What do you think has been the leading factor to your success? And it was like a quick thing. And, and you know what he said? He's like, it's all about branding. Hmm. Everything's about branding, branding yourself, branding your, your trade, you know? And so, you know, when you are following up, when you are sending all this content, that is a piece of you. That is a digital copy, a piece of you that you're putting out there for people to benefit and add value for other people. And you got to ask yourself, are you doing that? You know, Excellent. so hopefully that's helpful for new people. It is. Thank you so much, Brian, for your insights into making the most of every client interaction. Always appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we wrap up today's uh, discussion, it's clear that following up is an art form that, when executed well, can lead to significant business success. To our listeners out there, remember to follow up. The follow up process, supported by the right tools and strategies, is key to navigating the complexities of commercial real estate. Be sure to tune in next time for our more valuable insights on chatting on Bell Street. Until then, keep building those relationships and closing those deals. Mm -hmm. See yeah. you. Bye, everybody. Absolutely.